0: Okay, it should be a good morning, a good day for Klai. So, Sheree Yeshua's v'nechamos, the day of sweeping victory. Our hostages should be turn- returned home. Our soldiers successfully should go home. And those who are injured should heal. And those who are mourning should be comforted. Our Munasiri sponsorship, we're very grateful for the year. Dr. Zavia Bella Morgan, in memory of Rabbi Dr. Brian Galbit, in memory of Bella's mother, Dr. Ellen Chanza, we remain very, very grateful to the Morgans. This morning, Shear is also sponsored. In memory of Dr. Jacob Piller, who exemplified a model how to live with Simcha Zachaim. By Sylvia Brody, who might still be sleeping in business class on our charter flight. In commemoration of the upcoming 21st year outside of her beloved husband, Arnold Brody, who uh, did an amazing job raising a family, including Rabbi Brody. And by my in-laws, Dr. Robert and Judy Brookstein, in memory of my wife's grandmother, Chaya Esther Brookstein, his beloved mother, my father-in-law's mother, a very, very special woman. Our Bobby, who was a woman who exemplified living with despite having lost everything, her parents, her family, her first husband, her child, and surviving Auschwitz by being uh, the guiding light to her sisters who were there with her. She lived her life uh, with positivity and a smile and rebuilt a beautiful family. And I'm so grateful uh, to her because otherwise I wouldn't have Yocheven. So uh, it should be in her memory. And by Yossi Davidovich, wishing his wife, Dafna Davidovich, a happy birthday. It's always nice to have a good reason for a sponsorship. A very happy birthday, Dafna. should be your best year yet. And Rafu Rufu Shleim HaTeperu Bracha Basleah, who's in surgery right now. should hear good news. It should be a successful surgery. Hashem should guide the hand of the surgeon to success. And of course, all of our learning is in honor of our soldiers and in the merit of the return of our hostages and in memory of the Kedoshim who gave their lives. I'd ask everyone to stay afterwards. We're going to divide Tehillim. If we have 30 people to stay, we'll take just a few minutes to finish all of Sefer Tehillim in their merit. So please, uh, please do so. So living with Amunah, living with Amuna. yesterday was a rally in Washington. Almost 300,000 people were there. It was really extraordinary to look around and see Jews of all backgrounds and all types and non-Jews, but decent good people who cared about Israel had that in common. To see uh, Chabad everywhere putting Tefillin on people and to see people waving Israeli flags and American flags, you've likely seen that um, some have noted, including Nikki Haley, the difference between this mass gathering in Washington and every pro-Palestinian gathering. I think she listed four or five differences. American flags, no violence, no hate, a call for peace, a call for love, a call for uh, big differences and it was felt, it was palpable in the air. To daven together, Yishayribo led us in Tehillim and in Tefillah. It was a very, very powerful day. But it was not an easy day to get to or return from. So uh, through the incredible generosity of a very, 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 very great couple philanthropists in Boynton Beach, we were able, our community, to arrange a charter flight. And if you are jealous, you weren't on the charter flight. Why didn't you know about it? Why was it too late? You already booked. We are jealous of you. The charter flight was amazing. It was amazing. On the way there, we read Tehillim, and we tied Sitsis and we completed all Maseches Tynus, and we sang and we danced with Shlomo Simcha. It was amazing, the charter flight. It was incredible, and the generosity of these philanthropists was extraordinary. But it was also complicated because Dulles Airport had an unprecedented amount of charter flights that came in. And you've likely seen the story of Dallas and the anti-Semites who wouldn't allow them uh, a bus because it was to an Israel rally. They had to turn around and go home, one of those planes. It's actually... uh, Detroit. Detroit, Detroit. what did I say? Well, you'll understand now why I I can't think straight. And then on the way home, the the airport was uh, inundated. And when we finally boarded that plane, many hours after we were supposed to leave, they couldn't get the stairs away from the plane because the hydraulic lift that goes down to stabilize the stairs so people don't slip when they climb up it and have a little more achmanos on the president. Not so easy to walk up and down those steps. It turns out, it turns out even if you're not yet 80 years old, it's not so easy in windy conditions to walk up and down those steps. But they couldn't move the steps. So we were all just looking out the window, waiting for the steps to move. Anyway, again, I'm not asking for sympathy, but we didn't land till after 1 a.m., didn't get home until after 2 a.m., which was all wonderful and great. Why am I telling you all this? Because as organizers of the trip, I was fine, but felt very guilty for the 170 people who wanted things to go super smoothly when we landed to get on the buses, and the buses had to go through security to get through, and it took us a long time to get on the buses to get to the rally. But what did I keep doing? Ain't no Melvado. It's all part of your plan. It's all for your reason. By the way, when we thought we landed with enough time and it took us many hours just to get off the plane and get the buses and get the buses, it turns out Hashem is amazing because we had been warned that Washington was essentially closed down because of the rally, no buses could get in. Buses have to park far away and you take a metro. We said, we're going to go for it. We're driving right there. And it took us half the time we thought it would take to drive with no traffic whatsoever and was able to drop us off right next to the rally. So we made it on time, even though it looked like we were going to be incredibly late because Hashem is amazing. And we also made it back and we landed and we're fine. And guess what? Detroit didn't take off till 2.30. Miami didn't take off till after midnight. And another chartered flight didn't take off at all. And I had to scramble to find hotels to stay over. So we made it back and slept in our beds, even if it was for a few hours. Hashem is always amazing. Hashem is has a plan. Hashem is great. I'm only telling you this because I had to flex my Amuna muscle a little bit last night. Look through the Amuna glasses a little bit. Not on my behalf. It was fine. But the responsibility of the, the many people, and uh, Baruch Hashem. Hashem is always amazing, and it was, uh, it was a very powerful experience. I'm sure we'll reflect more on it in the coming days of what it meant to be with such a cross-section of I'll just tell you this. Someone shared this morning, and it hadn't occurred to me all day yesterday, that 300,000, which was the number that we were standing together, and if you see the pictures, it is an enormous number of people. That is the number of reservists that have been called up. So if you want to picture every soldier that's not with his family right now, every soldier that's sleeping under a tree, every soldier that doesn't get to return to his bed at 2 a.m. would be grateful for that opportunity. If you want to picture every soldier that had to leave his business unattended to, every soldier that left his family, every soldier that left his community, if you look at that picture and you see how many people are there, that's what it would look like if all the reservists were collected and put together for a couple hours, getting to listen to Isha Rebo and Omar Adam. And whoever else spoke, I didn't notice any of the other speakers, I just noticed the two of them. But that's what it would look like. And it gives you a little perspective. It gives you a little scope of, of what that means, how interrupted the lives of Israel is. There's a lot to reflect on. I think this was not just the largest gathering of pro-Israel, that's what they're saying in the news, historic, this was also the largest gathering of people that ever sang Achinu together, the largest gathering of people who proclaimed Shema Yisrael when Yishayriba led us in Kabbalah Zohar Machu Shemaim together. And this was the largest group and the longest time Jews have ever been together with no cell phone reception. <laughs> so they were like breaking out in hives and panic, <laughs> panic attacks. Hatzalah was working overtime. Jews were just panicking and freaking out. They couldn't text. They couldn't post their pictures and videos. They couldn't tell everyone where they were, but it was remarkable. It's like Hashem said, just be here right now. Don't be posting. And don't be streaming. And don't be sp- just be here. Just be here. Look around. It's like he was saying you're with you with three hundred thousand of your siblings of my children. Just be in the moment, because the technology totally makes us be out of the moment. So it's like he was saying. Just, and people were. I was. Pan- everyone was panicked. I wasn't panicked. I know I could post the pictures later. I wasn't panicked. I was panicked. <laughs> I was panicked because we kept saying, we're gonna post our location, then everyone will find us and our huge delegation will stand together. It just felt so bad. It felt so bad that we weren't standing together. And then the people were like, occasionally a text would randomly come through. And then you'd say, it was somebody who's like, I have no idea where you are and I'm by myself and how will I find the buses. But, But for the most part, Hashem was saying, you're disconnected, enjoy it. I gave you a couple hours of Shabbos on a Tuesday afternoon. You got a couple hours of Shabbos in the middle of the week. Enjoy it, good Shabbos. Shem looked down and he said, "Good Yeah, they're speaking through a microphone, but good Shabbos. Shabbos, You're disconnected, so you could connect to Am Yisrael. You could connect to Shema Yisrael. You could connect to Shira Malos, Shira Malos. You could connect to Rosh Chodesh you could connect to the beginning of Kislev. What did Ishaar say? Everyone was worried, and I'm not weighing in right now about the agenda and the itinerary and the speakers and rabbis and no rabbis and a pastor. And if it would have been rabbis, you'd have to have three rabbis. I'm not touching them with a 10-foot pole. I'm not weighing in. There's enough beauty to see in it. If you want to share the criticism, save it for your own, I don't know what. I'm not weighing in in that. All I'll tell you is if you weren't there, then you don't know that it was an entirely religious experience. Because when Ishaar began and he said, he was... A, a, Communicated with him afterwards a little because I said you made it a religious experience. You transformed it into a spiritual moment When he said it's Rosh Chodesh Kislev and Kislev has the most days that are filled with the deepest darkness It, it falls in the darkest parts of the year that the length of the day is the longest of darkness so They're the shortest days, which means the most darkness Kislev. So he said Kislev is filled with the most darkness But he said looking out all I see is endless light. He said a He said a He said a few, and then Omar Adam put on a kippah When he sang it was an event of Amun. It was three hundred thousand Jews, a couple non-Jews sprinkled in, but three hundred thousand Jews who were just. And then he said, "Repeat after me." And he said Shema Yisrael, and everybody repeated Shema Yisrael. It was it was extraordinary. And Hashem said, "Don't miss it. I'm disconnecting you." so you could connect to each other and to this moment and to what you, are, what you are saying and be present. He said, God said, for God's sake, that's me. He said, for my sake, be present. Be present in this moment. Hopefully it will never have to be repeated again in your life other than when you come to welcome Mashiach. The next time you'll have this many Jews, it'll be to welcome Mashiach. But hopefully, so be present. Disconnect and connect, it was amazing. Mishar and amuna Email, and then we'll dive back into the text. We were learning the Pnei Menachem's message during the Persian Gulf War where we started last week. But first, a message. This is a, a camp friend of mine. I went to camp a few years ago, just a few. And uh, we were in camp together. And I've seen him through the years, but we haven't been in constant touch through the years. And he wrote me the following. Greetings from Israel. I hope you and your family are doing well. Ever since Leo D. mentioned your munishim at the funeral of his daughters and his wife, I've been listening to many of them. Our family was shaken up by the D. tragedy, as was all of Efrat. My, my wife was friendly with Lucy, Hashem Yikom Dama, and my younger daughter with Rina, Hashem Yikom Dama. I find the shiurim inspiring along the lines of not to introduce major chidushim, hammering home by repetition and by creative formulation, essential ideas of how to see Hashem's hand in our lives and mold our emotions and actions accordingly. Unless you see that as a diss or a criticism, it's an accurate description of our emunah on them and other work, blah, blah, blah. One of the ideas I like very much, which I instituted in our family, is the Hashkacha Pratis WhatsApp group. I can't say it's been all active or that every member of our family is as interested in it as I am, but it helps me keep an eye out for the hashgacha moments in my life. And I want to share one which you can feel free to read in a future shir, which is today. I got this email, 5.13 a.m. The war, of course, has upended the lives of everyone in Israel. Even aside from the families and friends of those murdered or taken captive on Simcha's Torah, almost everyone has a family member on the front lines or knows someone who does. Our oldest is an intelligence based near the Gaza border. I teach mathematics at Machon Leva Technical College in Yerushalayim, where the semester has been pushed off at least until the last week of December, the same is true at every university in the country. Which, if you're a university student, you're trying to figure out what you're doing with your time meaningfully, and how does this set back your life? Because you knew when you were going to school, when you were graduating, and as Jewish parents impress upon their children, therefore, when you'd get your first job, when you were eligible to get married, when you would, when you would, when you would plan out the rest of your life. But now they said, nah. University is on hold. You know why? Because your professors have a gun and they're fighting for their lives. So your university is on is on hold. Depending on the progress of the war, the army's need for the reservists, many of whom are college and university students, there may be further delays, and no one really knows when this academic year will look like. This posed a unique challenge for me, as I had been preparing for the last six months to donate a kidney through the services of Matnar Chaim, an organization here which encourages altruistic kidney donation. My plan was to finish all the medical and bureaucratic preparations, of which there are many, before the start of the semester. Schedule the donation for my long semester break in January, February. The last meeting with the committee, which gives the final OK to donate, was scheduled for October 16th, but was canceled when the war broke out. I wasn't, I really wasn't sure what would become of my plan when I received a phone call three weeks ago from the hospital. The committee was meeting now only with potential donors whose surgeries were scheduled in the next few weeks. Would I possibly be interested in donating very soon, in the second week of November? The suggestion made a lot of sense to me, as I would need some time off to recuperate, and I certainly had that now. But up to that point, I had thought of my potential donation as something in the far-off future. Now that I was forced with the prospect of donating very soon, I immediately felt confronted by questions and doubts. Was this really a wise course of action Should I listen to those close to me who urged me not to take on the risks of living with a single kidney? What if the recipient's body rejected the kidney, which happens? Would I feel it was all for nothing? In any event, I had to consult with my wife before giving an answer. So I had a little time to decide. By the time my wife came home, I had recovered from the shock of the phone call, and I fought back my doubts. I knew that I wanted to donate now as much as I had six months earlier when the process began. My wife agreed that it made perfect sense to move up the date of the surgery, given I'd be off from work for a while. Within minutes after I spoke with her, I received a phone call from my dentist's office. I had an appointment scheduled for the third week of November, a few days after the suggested donation date. But someone canceled an appointment tomorrow. (laughs) Was I interested in taking an appointment tomorrow instead? Obviously, it would not be feasible to visit the dentist a few days after donating a kidney. I immediately realized this as a hashkacha moment, the fortuitous timing of the call from the dentist. Was Hashem reminding me, not only that donating kindly is a huge mitzvah of pikuach nefesh, but that pikuach nefesh is a mitzvah that doesn't wait even a minute longer than necessary. I took the earlier dental appointment, moved up the donation date to November 12th. I'm now recuperating at home a few days after donating. And Baruch Hashem, both my surgery and the recipient surgery went well. The kidney's working to clean out his body. My wife and I had a very emotional meeting with him and his family in the hospital before I was discharged. As terrible as the current war is, with horrific tragedy that initiated it, the thousands of people displaced by it and the growing list of soldiers killed and wounded fighting it, I take solace in the fact that it provided a few months of extra time to the recipient of my kidney. And I thank Hashem for the opportunity to do this mitzvah and for the reminder in that Hashkacha moment, how important a mitzvah it was to do, kol tov and besuras tovos. So, as much as I admired this kimp friend before, wow, every kidney donor is extraordinary and incredible and tremendous, but what a beautiful story and what a beautiful way to interpret. Instead of being, ach oh, so annoying, we're making this big decision, why the dentist have to call now? I said, wow, that's not the dentist calling, that's Hashem calling. It's Hashem calling saying, you move the dentist appointment up to free you up to donate the kidney. That's confirmation. Go do it, save a life. Go take advantage of this time off that you never wanted. Wow, what an email. Then I got another great email. Yesterday at the rally, I had the opportunity to stop by and say hi, which he did. When I walked up to you and said my chavrusa, it wasn't me trying to be cute. The Revan Eskila are part of my everyday life all the way in New York. and making a priority list of living with a munashir a day for the past six months. As I've been catching up, it has changed my life. We're gonna have to give more often because People are gonna run out if they listen. I'll I'll save the rest of this email for next week because I wanna get to some learning. But it was, there were several people who were kind enough to introduce themselves yesterday. He was one of them and it was uh, very sweet to, you live and learn with people virtually, but it's a gift that Hashem gives us, our community, that we get to connect globally, but you don't get the chance. In fact, somebody had texted me from one of the WhatsApp groups, I think the Parsha one, and said, in the Parsha group, drop the location of where you are at the rally Parsha perspectives could have a great reunion and people could come over. We never met, but we learned together every week and we could all say hello. Those who learn live in person, with those who learn virtually. One day we'll do it. Mir Hashem. When we go to greet Mashiach, we'll drop a pin. Our location, a live location. I don't know. If, right. I was about to say, if Hashem loves us, He'll knock out all the reception when Mashiach comes as a gift so that nobody would be posted. Who will be the first one to post? I won't mention names. But who will be in the competitive world of Jewish influencers? Who will be the first one who gets to drop the story? Mashiach is here and I landed him for the podcast. Who will be the first one who gets Mashiach for the podcast? Wow. The answer will be nobody because Mashiach going to have his own podcast and he's going to interview the people who brought him and made him come. And guess what? It won't be any famous people. His guests won't be anyone that we know. His guests will be people who will refuse to be interviewed. Those are the ones that are likely bringing him. Okay, back to this <coughs> essay. The Sikha, this mimer, that was first given by the Panei Menachem in Shvat Tovshin Nun Aleph. It was given in the month of Shvat during the Persian Gulf War. Panei Menachem was the Gerer Rosh Hashiva at the time. Since then has was the Gerer Rebbe. And uh, today his son is the Gerer Rosh Hashiva of Shol who we... The privilege of hosting in our community recently, and he gave this "Maimar Oyev Titzor from the fear of my enemy, fashion me and make me a life. And we read how people are living afraid. The first thing that the Ger Rebbe did was validate that fear. There's so much uncertainty. There's so much doubt. There's so much unknown. It's understandable. There were people who were afraid yesterday of the rally, of safety and security. I will tell you. I didn't spend one moment afraid that I was going to die. All of my fear was that my phone was going to die, all my panic. I had no fear about my dying. I had a lot of fear that my phone was going to die. Will we plug in? Is there a backup battery? Will it drain the battery? That's where all the fear was. But there were people who understandably were afraid, safety, security, and again, it was beautiful. It's beautifully organized. I'm sure you saw the stories already online of the police officers and security guards who said they got more thank yous in one day than they got in their entire career. The people acted with such menschlichkeit and midos and derech eretz and the please and the thank you. It was a beautiful thing. We had that on our charter flight when we were going through uh, and leaving. One of the security people said, this is the nicest group we've ever had. It's possible we sent out a message, make sure you're the nicest group they ever had. (laughs) But we knew that we have a lot of work to do to offset and compensate for those who may look like us and not leave that impression. impression. But Baruch Hashem, 300,000 people overwhelmingly left that impression orderly and organized and not chaotic and there was no violence. Nobody tore down flags. We waved flags, American and Israeli. It was beautiful. <laughs> but it's legitimate. pachad Oyev Titzor Chayai said the Rebbe, it's understandable that a person would be nervous and that's why, David Amelach Davin, Titor Chayai, let me not live with panic and fear and anxiety. Let it not be debilitating and paralyzing. Let it not hold my life. And that's what we say in Hoshana, Hoshana Nefesh, Hoshana Nefesh mi Bahala, save me from panic. Let me not be panicked. Let me not be anxious. Let me not be worried. Let me not be worried. But then he continued, and that's what we're up to. I left off the first page when I made the copies for today. Where on the tower It says page two on your copy, on the side that says page two, on the top, the single line that says, If it's true, how are we meant to conduct ourselves in our condition, in our situation today? It's true. Every day you wake up, and now it's, I think, 48 soldiers, Rahman Islam, Hashem Hashem Yikom Tamam. 48 soldiers who've lost their lives. Still activity and concern on the northern border, still uncertainty what will happen out of Iran, still a rise of anti-Semitism all around us. How are we meant to live? (laughs) How can we overcome natural panic and the natural fear? It's legitimate. It's understandable. It's reasonable. If you're not a little bit nervous and afraid, then you might be living recklessly. Hashem gave us healthy fear. We spoke about it in Jesus HaShem this morning, right? Healthy fear makes you drive more safely, makes you live more cautiously. The people who are fearless live recklessly and stupidly and foolishly. There's a whole, don't, don't watch it, you'll waste too much of your time, but there's a whole online world called Torans. Torans are tourist morons. It's a hashtag. And if you want to find the people who want to catch a picture, a selfie, hanging off the cliff at fill in the blank of, of, uh, of a uh, national park, and they do that. And someone in their life says, that's stupid, you could slip, you could fall, are you crazy? They say, no, 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 it's going to be a great picture. Don't worry, nothing's going to happen. And, and it happens. There are Torans who take pictures with bears. <laughs> Torans who take pictures with wild animals. Torans who hang off of cliffs in national parks. <laughs> Torans, you know why? Because they're fearless and stupid and they have no fear, they're, they're morons. I'm so sorry to say that about them. They're morons, they're Torons. Don't be a Toron, don't be a moron. A little healthy fear, a little healthy fear. So it's healthy, says the Geraship, it's understandable, but how do you live? I was just looking for the opportunity to weave in Torans to some sheer, I've been holding on to that for a while. Could check that off now. Mention Torans. Move on. Just promise me you won't look for it. It's a waste of time. But it's shocking how moronic people are. When I was at a national park, I think it was in Wyoming, the tour guide, when we watched some morons hanging off the cliff trying to capture the perfect selfie, is the one who told us about it. That's how I discovered this great human, whatever. From the Torah of our ancestors, we learn how to live in a time of, of incredible stress. The great Chobos HaLavavos, the great rabbi of and in his Chobos HaLavavos tells us the story, the mushal, the allegory of a king who one of the members of his kingdom did something deeply offensive, violated the king, So the king doesn't get messy, doesn't get down and dirty, doesn't lower himself to get involved. What does the king do? The king pulls over one of his appointed agents and says, go take care of this person. Now his chief of staff doesn't also take care of it. He's the chief of staff. So He calls the head of the prison and he says, prisoner so-and-so, all with his head. Now the head of the prison doesn't take care of it. Who does he do? What does he take care of? He asks one of the prison guards, go get this inmate from that cell. So what happens? This lowly guard, the private, who's his first day on the job, this guard goes to the cell to get the prisoner and says, come, we're going, because of what you did to the king, we're going to give you a capital punishment. So he gets down on the floor, and he starts to plead, and he starts to beg, and he tells this private, this lowly officer, this guy's first day in the job, the one who came to his prison cell, you have to forgive me, you have to grant me immunity and clemency, you have to not uh, give me capital punishment, please, 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 I have a wife, I have children, I have a community, they've all written letters on my behalf, please, please, please. So what does the officer say? What are you pleading with me? I'm just carrying out the order. I'm just a lowly private. I'm just the officer. I'm just a policeman. I'm just a prison guard. This came from higher up. This, I got this order from the head of the prison. Misar So what happens? So then this inmate goes to the head of the prison and begs and pleads and gets on his knees. He says, what are you pleading with me? I'm just the head of the prison. This came from... The uh secretary of the prison system. He goes to the secretary of the prison. System, what are you going? This came from the chief of staff. He goes to the chief of staff. He says, What do you want from me? It came from the king. It came from the king. So, this is what the rabbi Bechaya, and his and Remember, I told you the Sarabi Tachon that the great. Rav Pinto, my new friend from Eretz Yisrael, waves at Hezbollah over the northern border. He says, you want to see my secret weapon? Chovas It's a secret weapon, his little he puts in his uniform. His secret weapon is chovas He waves it at Hezbollah. is his weapon, chovas So what does Rabbi Nebuchadnezzar say? He says this marshal. So we're so busy, we're pleading with the pharmacist and the lab technician, we're pleading with the doctor. Hey, none of them are in charge. We're pleading with the surgeon, we're pleading with the, with, pleading with the surgery center. None of them are in charge. We're busy in Washington. We're pleading with the Congressmen. we're pleading with the senators, we're pleading with the administration, we're pleading with the president, we're pleading with the media, we're pleading with... It's important. You have to advocate, you have to talk to them too. If you don't talk to the prison guard, you'll never get to the head of the prison, you'll never get to the secretary of defense, you'll never get to the king. It's important to make your way up the... But all along from when you have the first conversation with the prison guard, you have to know where'd the order come down from and who's the only one who can reverse the order? It all comes from above. So what are you doing, says the Chofetz al What are you doing overly investing? What are you doing disproportionately focusing on the lowly guard? Go right to the king. That's where your effort, that's where your advocacy, that's where your energy. Don't forget. That's what we did yesterday. The whole way up and the whole way back. We made a him on the plane on the way back. The whole way up and the whole way back, we were talking to the king. And while we were there, you know, again, I'm not weighing in on the debate, but there were plenty of people there, Rav Lopiansky, Rav Rabbi Rav Schechter. And in our trip itself, Rav to of TTB came and he had a safer open the whole time. He was listening, but he was learning. We were talking to the king while we were listening to his subjects, while we were listening to his officers and agents and staff members. We were also talking to the king, singing to the king, saying Tehillim to the king. Also, at the same time, go right to the king. Nechavaz Halavaz brings down another famous marshal that many of the Rishonim bring. It's like, you know, a person is smacking a dog. You shouldn't, Peter, if you're listening, we don't endorse this, but a person smacks a dog with a stick, with a staff. The dog goes after the stick because the dog doesn't realize the stick didn't hit him. The person waving the stick hit him. Whatever's happening in our life, whoever hit us, whoever's firing rockets at us, whatever's happening to us, yes, Eliminate the stick. You don't want to get hit again. But know where it's coming from. Rabosai said the Pnei Menachem. Rabosai, Let us say to ourselves the ancient truth. Lo hatil meimis, velo Patriot He was talking in the Persian Gulf War. Let us speak the truth that the rocket doesn't kill and the patriot missile isn't what saves you. Their rockets aren't what kills, and the Iron Dome isn't what saves us. The Pere it's important to say, wasn't reciting this from Borough Park or from Boca. He was in Yushalayim. He was fitted for a gas mask. He was living this in real time. He was also a target of, of Saddam Hussein. There, Israel was not, was not a front line. In the Persian Gulf War, there were no soldiers fighting on a front line, the army wasn't called up. They were just the target because, you know, if America's in a war with Iraq, it makes sense to send missiles to Israel because that makes sense. Like the kid on the side of the playground just watching, doing nothing, but why not beat them up because they're friends with the person who's in a fight with you? So you remember Saddam threatened to send chemical weapons to Israel because. Because they're friends with America. So the pename and acham was as much skin in the game as anyone else in Israel when he gave this mimer, And he said, we need to remember. He was talking to the people in real time. We need to remember. It's not the missile which kills, and it's not the Patriot or today the Iron Dome that saves. Rather, we have to see the hand of Hashem at every stage, in every moment. It's true that these missiles are being launched. At the order of the Jew hater in Baghdad, Yemach Shemov Aval, Lev Mesaram Hashem. But the heart of kings is in the hands of Hashem. You know what, missiles coming right at each and every one of us? A missile that has the message wake up. Wake up. Transform your life, transform yourself. Be the person you could and were meant to be. Live the life you were meant to live. Jewish people, wake up. Be united. Set aside the petty differences. Stop being so divided. Wake up and bring me. Bring Geula. Bring Mashiach, says Hashem. Wake up. There's an interesting thing. Maybe we'll talk about it off the record this week. But I don't know if you've seen the pictures online of people who write messages on the Israeli bombs before they send them over. I saw one of them had a message from Camp Ask. One of them had a message from Smichas Chavr program. They had messages from communities that were decimated. I have mixed feelings about it. I'm not entitled to an opinion, so I'm not weighing in because I'm not responsible for launching those bombs or risking my life in order to drop them on the people who deserve them. I'm not, I'm not weighing in, but a person could have mixed feelings about should we be writing messages on those bombs. Maybe it's an outlet for people. Maybe it's cathartic and therapeutic to be writing this message and the people who the bomb's landing on their head, 100% deserve it. That's our responsibility to be doing it. So should you write a message? I'm not weighing in. But when the bombs come at us, there's a message written on them too, says the Pnei Menachem. And the message is from Hashem. Wake up. Wake up. The truth is there's a good reason to be afraid right now, but transfer and channel that anxiousness, that panic, that fear towards Hashem, not towards the lowly guard or officer, but towards directly towards Hashem. A matik far ba'makom is al Hashem yishmuel. Hamazbir, the the halak hashem yishmuel says, as diber gemara ba'avod zara. I've seen him ask The the hashem yishmuel, the holy sachet shalva rebbe writes, quoting from the gemara, that. <laughs> <laughs> the Gemara, the Gemara says, <laughs> Hashem makes wars to return us to a life of Torah. <laughs> Hashem says, come to me into my room. Come. Let's have a moment of closeness, a moment of intimacy, a moment, a time of connection. Overcome that fear. Come, I'll hold you. I'll coddle you. I'll cuddle with you. Come. You're afraid? Let me hold you. Child wakes up with a nightmare in the middle of the night. Where do they climb? Into their parents' bed. Right? My morning WhatsApp, Baruch Hashem, this is the greatest WhatsApp to have, is the... Morning alert from my children. Which of their children woke up in the middle of the night? Didn't let them sleep. Climbed into their bed. It's the greatest. As the grandparent, it's the greatest text to get. It's beautiful. Ah, oh, adorable. I remember when you did that. And the grandchildren. It's not my bed. Baruch Hashem. It's amazing. I give everyone a bracha who's waiting for grandchildren. They should be zochet to get those texts, and you should be zochet of them to wake you in the middle of the night and taka climb into your bed. It's the most delicious thing. The most delicious thing when it happens on rare occasion. It's delicious. It's delicious. <laughs> So, <laughs> wh- so they climb in the middle of your bed. They had a nightmare. They wake you. And what do you do? You hold them. How did that make anything better? How did they make that weird sound or that fear go away? Because you held them. And you're their mommy or tati or Abba. You're their babi or Zaidi, Saba or safta. You held them. And you're the person who makes everything okay. So when you hold them and you're the one who makes everything okay, they can fall back to sleep says the Pnei Menachem, take that fear, that panic that's making you wake up in the middle of the night and let Hashem hold you. Run into His arms. Let Him stroke your back. Let Him stroke your cheek. Let Him say, I'm in charge. I'm in control. For 2,000 years, it's been okay. We walk away injured and harmed. There are losses and they hurt, but it's going to be okay. It's for a reason. Come, come into my arms. Come into my room. Come direct your panic and fear into a deeper, more intense relationship with me. We can't act like we are a nation of panicked, fearful, anxious people. And like mefunakim, and like spoiled brats. All we're looking for are guarantees. Promise me, guarantee me. That's not what life is about. That's not who we are. We know they're going to come, but where are we? How are we living? What's on us to change, to transform, to do? Now is the time to double down. Now is the time to dig in. Now is the time to proclaim from the rooftops. The message that we've always believed, that there's Hashem, He's in charge, He's in control. And the only way we survive and we thrive is a relationship with Him. Are you in further conversation with Him? Are you listening to Him? Are you helping His children? Are you connecting with His mission? Hashem, that's what it's all about. Emuna and bitachon and dvekas that's what this time demands. That's what this time calls out. That's what this time is all about. That's the mimer that the Pnei Menachem the Geri Rebbe was saying in the Persian Gulf War and is the reality that we are seeing right now. The Hisodorus tochuva, the awakening that is going on, is extraordinary. Extraordinary. Again, not weighing in on yesterday's rally, the debate about it. I'm weighing in if you can't notice. But not weighing in. Do you know how many Jews were there? Secular mm-hmm. Jews yes. who were not in contact with their Jewishness. Should they, should they not come, made the effort to come? Maybe they put on tefillin for the first and only time in their life. Maybe they said tehillim for the first and only time in their life. Maybe they went back to their campus or community and want to wear a mugging david or want to hang a mezuzah on their door or are going to show up at that sheer. How many people have told me stories of their relatives who were utterly and totally disconnected to their Judaism, but as this war has waged and as anti-Semites have thrived, have taken another look at what it means to be Jewish. There's a hisodorus to tshuva, there's an awakening, a spiritual awakening happening to our people. I put a picture in our family WhatsApp group, our greater family, meaning my siblings and their children, my parents, which includes soldiers who are fighting in the front lines, one in Gaza who will come back, hasn't looked at his phone in weeks, hundreds or thousands of family messages. And I put a picture of, or I put the video of our to fill in, uh, tzitzis tying campaign, Motzei Shabbos on Sunday night. And yesterday, we streamed the rally while people continued to tie tzitzis. We tied tzitzis on the plane, our flight, people individually on their flights. We made a big commitment: two thousand tzitzis, a lot of tzitzis to tie. I put it on our family WhatsApp group. You know, saying that you know all the soldiers want. We're tying tzitzis. Our small part in building the armor and tactical gear of the soldiers. And my niece wrote back. She spoke to her husband, who's in Gaza, and he said in capital letters. Everyone is wearing tzitzis now. Everyone wants those tzitzis. It's not just like some gimmick to get Claudius to tie tzitzis. So we made up that even the secular soldiers, there's no such thing as a secular soldier. That is an oxymoron. If you are a soldier right now, first of all, if you're risking your life for the Jewish people, there's nothing secular about you. You're a holy, Holy soul. Holy soul. But there's no such thing as a secular soldier, because they're singing and dancing to They're saying Tehillim, and they're putting on tzitzis. They're wearing these tzitzis, capital letters, everyone, that's how I heard her voice, everyone, in capital letters, everyone is wearing tzitzis. Everyone is wearing those tzitzis. And everyone wants to tie the tzitzis. I'll tell you, I gonna say not for public consumption as we're streaming this around the world, but there was some concern because the video that we posted, not everybody who's my, tying the tzitzis is wearing a yarmulke. There's a beautiful image of a holy Jew. I don't know who he is. I wasn't here Sunday night. I was at a wedding who this might have several tattoos and, and an earring and no yarmulke and he's tying the tzitzis. And there's some question of the kashras and the halacha of the tzitzis. It's possible that from Israel I got a message wondering exactly what was going on. And we shared some sources back and forth, the halacha. And the halacha is clear. Of course, it's preferable for tzitzes to be tied by Yireh shemayim, Mayim, Helega from a those who are who are trembling in awe of Hashem. But the halach is also very clear that the tzitzes are kosher if the person who tied them knows what the mitzvah of tzitzes is about and did it lashem mitzvah tzitzes. And I'll tell you that anybody who saw a flyer, that Jews are coming together to tie tzitzes for soldiers on the front line and interrupted their night, Motzei Shabbos, or Sunday night, and came, Yamaka, no yamaka, we taught every single person who was there to say the words Lashem Mitzvas Titsis with every knot they tightened and they looked around that room and they listened to the music that was playing and they heard and felt that energy of tefillah, of prayer, every one of them, in that moment, every pair of those tits is kosher. Every pair of those titsis. Because the spiritual arousal, the fact that someone saw it and wanted to come. you know what? I'm not impressed. You keep Shabbos, you daven, you wear yamaka. You cover your hair and you came in tight sits. Big deal. That's your job. That's what you're supposed to do. You know, you were taught, you were educated. Big deal. None of you, imp- you, all, you all impress me. But none of you impress me. None of you impress me. But you don't even wear a yarmulke. You don't even wear tzitzes, maybe you never put on your own tzitzes and you came and you tied tzitzes and you said, shame mitzvah tzitzes. And someone sat and taught you 7, 8, 11, 13, Kabbalistically you add it all up with the knots, you get to 613, the number of mitzvahs, tzitzes remind us that there's Hashem, and you doma le'yam, doma and you sat there painstakingly and you did it, wow. Those are a holy pair of tzitzes. Lucky is the soldier who gets to put on those tzitzes, wow, wow. There's a spiritual awakening that is taking place, said the Gereb in the Persian Gulf War, and we're seeing it with our eyes. Now, here's the question. We didn't finish this. I wanted to finish it. We'll finish it next week. But here's the question I have for you. There's a spiritual awakening that's happening all around us. There are people planning on going back to Israel right now. One of the things that we're being asked for is a lot of tefillin. Soldiers who never owned and never wore are asking for tefillin. Tefillin is a lot more expensive than tzitzis. There's a spiritual awakening happening all around us. Is it happening in you? Are you part of that? Will you look back when this is over, please God, by the end of today? And will you say, wow, how my life changed? Not because I have a phone full of pictures of every rally I went to, but every, how did my life change? How do I make my brachas? How do I see the hand of Hashem? What kind of mitzvahs? What kind of messages? What is my mission? What kind of family am I raising? What kind of Shabbos table do I have? What difference did I make? What radical change did I make in my life? What was I waiting for? There are people that were there that night, I want you to know. There was a kid yesterday who came on our trip who tied tzitzis but says, I don't wear tzitzis. Can I wear the tzitzis I tied for today at the rally? We'll clean them before we send them to the soldier. Can I wear the tzitzis I tied? There are people who tied tzitzes and now said, I'm so busy tying tzitzes for a soldier, I need to start wearing tzitzes. So what change are you making? What, change are you, what difference are you making in your life? How will you look back and say, yeah, that's when I started wearing tzitzis. That's when I started davening a little bit every day. That's when I started being patient and not losing my cool and not getting angry. That's when I finally worked on my shalom bayis. I wanted shalom in Israel. I worked on my shalom bayis. Maybe that's when I started covering my hair. Or I stopped eating out or I started keeping Shabbos a little more carefully. Or that's when I started having guests. That's when I started caring about others and checking in on them. That's when I started giving stucca. Uh, everyone can answer for themselves. But you know, in the war of Tufshin Pei Dala 2023, that's when I changed this. In 20 or 30 years from now, we'll look back and say, that's when this changed in my life. There's a spiritual arousal, a spiritual awakening, a spiritual disorder is happening. It's happening everywhere. That's our reaction. That's our defense. That's our Iron Dome. It's happening. The only question is, are you part of it? And Shem will continue with this next week.